Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, over in DeKalb County, they'll soon require convenience stores and so-called high-risk businesses to have surveillance cameras. Now, Commissioner Lorraine Cochran-Johnson details the need for this ordinance. Also, there's a new film fellowship launching for students attending the Atlanta University Center institutions. Now, I'll speak with officials behind the fellowship, and we'll hear how one legendary filmmaker is involved. Spike Lee has put more African Americans to work in this business than this business than anyone else in the history of this business. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that's just ahead, but first this. Following the release of the video footage capturing the beating of Tyree Nichols, which led to his death, a Georgia lawmaker wants to prevent the same thing from happening here in our state. Georgia House Minority Leader leader James Beverly, a Democrat, said George George Floyd, Eric Garner, and Tyree Nichols deserve to make it home. But they didn't. Their fate was in the hands of officers who pledged to provide safety and stability to our communities. Their culture ate this man's life for dinner. Now, Beverly wants fellow lawmakers to take preventive steps through legislation, saying it might not change minds within law enforcement, but it would require restraint. The Georgia House of Representatives will not stand idly by while injustice prevails. So I'm calling on this House, the Georgia House of Representatives in general, and the Georgia House Democratic Caucus specifically, to hold hearings to pass legislation so that this tragedy does not come to our state. And a programming note to House Minority Leader James Beverly will join tomorrow's Closer Look and will pick up the discussion on this and the Democratic agenda for this year's legislative session. Now, coming up in a moment, we'll get more news from the state capitol. You're listening to Closer Look. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It is business as usual for state lawmakers today, and especially since there are still committee hearings as agency and department heads make their needs heard. Let's head downtown to where WABE politics reporter Raul Bali is live from the Georgia House Chambers. Welcome, Raul. Hey, Rose. You all are all busy, not just you, but a lot of our WABE reporters are tackling a lot. It's a busy day when it comes to to state politics, actually. Uh, A couple of my fellow reporters are in here right now. Sam Greenglass is about to walk out the door to go cover a governor's event. Uh, uh, Emily Pearson is here. She's about to head over to City Hall for an event. She was here for an Asian-American event. 
Um, and we've had other reporters out covering a lot of things with state. It's a busy day for things around state government today. Yeah, and a little bit later we'll hear from First Lady Marty Kemp. I believe Dor- Dormai advances with that uh, those mm-hmm. efforts at the airport as it relates to trafficking. Uh, Martha Dalton, of course, is, I believe, cutter- covering a literacy hearing. Yep. And uh, Jess Medor, who's covering Mental Health Day. So y'all are busy, and, of course, we appreciate it. And uh, we have Matthew Pearson here, too, our photographer who's, who's taking amazing photos for our social media and our website. Amazing photos. They're amazing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, compared to what I can do with a camera? No, it's not even close. Let's start here, Raul. Governor Brian Kemp yeah. has started pushing some bills for lawmakers to take on this session. What are you, what are you hearing mm-hmm. so far? So he, uh, his floor leader, so the governor doesn't file bills directly. It's mm-hmm. his floor leaders. And by my count, I've got seven bills here kind of dropped here in the past 24 and 48 hours. Um, and there's a lot to look at. One of the bills that, that uh, jumped out at me uh, is uh, House Bill 129. It was filed by one of his floor leaders, uh, Republican State Representative Su Hong from Lawrenceville. And, and it deals with a program called uh, TANF, mm-hmm. uh, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. It's a, it's a federal program that is implemented here in the state of Georgia by DFACS. And it you know gives cash assistance mm-hmm. um, to families with young children, low-income families. And what this legislation would do is it would expand the eligibility criteria to include pregnant women. And I just talked to um, Representative Hong, and one of the important things, it's not written in the bill, but one of the important things is once that pregnant woman has a baby, she's not going to have to file any more new paperwork. Mm-hmm. She'll just continue because if she's going to be eligible under – uh, under that criteria as a pregnant woman, most likely they'll be uh, continue to be once they've had the child. So that's one of the bills that's been filed. And Raul, for our listeners who may not be aware, take them through the likelihood of when a, a governor is pushing the, a measure that, that's you know important to him, obviously, or, or to the administration. How likely is it for that measure to obviously get a vote and then become law? If it's not truly controversial, um, you know, it's it, it's very high. And, and when you look at a bill like this, you would you would expect it you would expect it to go through. The other thing I do look is I look at other names on the bill. Obviously, having a governor's floor leader on the bill is always important. But you mm-hmm. see if uh, other important lawmakers are are on that bill. So I would always say, yeah, it's it's a high li- likelihood um, that that bill you know is going to get through and get done. Uh, you know, the, the second signer on that bill is uh, State Representative Sharon Cooper, who's over from Cobb County, mm-hmm. and she's a leading voice on these maternal issues. So she's also a doctor, correct? She's a physician. She, uh, she is a nurse. Nurse. Okay. Um, so she, so when you, I see her name, that tells me this is a piece of legislation that's going to get serious consideration and likely get back to the governor's desk. And Raul, we're on the last day of the first month here. Where do we, what are lawmakers really doing this month? We'll get to some of the issues with the budget, but this month is sort of getting those measures out, making sure you can get people on board before the, I guess they say the fun starts when all the debating begins. So yesterday was kind of a, a big day because I think we had close to a hundred bills filed on both sides. It was a that was the first kind of big day where there were just tons of bills to keep flipping through and, and try to figure out what's been filed. There are more than, and I think I've mentioned this on the air before, there have been more than a thousand bills, if not more, that have been drafted and you're just waiting for them to be filed. So, and the other thing is we're starting to see movement on the state budget as well. Let me ask you this, with those thousand bills, my goodness, um, will all of them require some type of committee hearing or depending on the measure, you can bypass that? 
it's rare for a, bi a bill to f completely bypass the full committee. Sometimes you can send it straight to rules and get it done quickly. You know, certain resolutions, you know, you know, mm -hmm. you know, all those bills, I mentioned thousand, some of them are just, you know, uh, honoring, you know, oh, a perfect example. There's a, there's a resolution to, uh, it's either a bill or resolution for uh, Georgia to recognize kimchi day in November. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those aren't, those are bills that move very quickly mm -hmm. um, in our resolutions. But the bigger bills, like the one I just mentioned, that's got to go through a committee. And, you know, I feel like we're giving a civics class, but that's okay. It's what we do here. Um, what determines if a, a bill will even make it to, you know, the chamber floor for debate anyway? The first step always is, and this is in both sides, both watching um, the watching the House Speaker where I'm sitting, and then across the across the state capitol, seeing what the Lieutenant Governor, who presides over the state Senate, what committee they send the bill to, mm -hmm. um, and then you you watch what that committee does. So, for example, we're you know over in the Education's committee, they're as you mentioned, uh, Martha's following. Uh, you know, the consideration, what do you do about literacy rates in the mm -hmm. state of Georgia? And you expect legislation may come out of that. You follow that legislation. If it, The first step is if a bill gets a hearing in a committee. Um, that's always the first step. If you don't even see that, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And then if once it gets a hearing and it gets out of that committee, it goes to the rules committee, which puts it on the calendar. And we're just now starting to see those rules committee, the House Rules Committee is going to meet for the first time tomorrow. Uh, Senate Rules Committee has been meeting for a few days. They put it on the calendar, and that's when it gets a full vote on the House floor now, or the Senate floor. Earlier this year, the governor said he wants to look at some zoning reforms to address mm -hmm. affordable housing. I believe he said that at this year's Eggs and Issues Breakfast. Uh, has there mm -hmm. been any movement? Is there a measure out there that might get some consideration here? So here's what's going on. This is kind of a two-parter. First, in the governor's budget, there's $35 million of, of money that's been given, that's going to be given to like local development authorities and local counties to help, you know, whether it's land for workforce housing. Okay, that's, that's really, that's what's uh, the only hard proposal that's out there. Mm -hmm. Here's the interesting thing. When he did his state of the state address right here in the House chamber, he said that, and I'm doing this, I, I don't remember the exact words, but it was, I'm looking for solutions um, from outside this chamber. What, he, what, what his staff told me later was, what they're referring to is local governments coming up with solutions mm -hmm. on affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you know, and you have, you've had so many great conversations with local mayors and county commissioners about what to do about affordable housing. That's where the governor's looking right now. But back here in this building, there are absolutely lawmakers who want to do something about affordable housing, want to do something about corporations who are building neighborhoods for rent with single-family homes, who want to do something um, about corporations who are coming in, buying up homes in neighborhoods, and then turning around and renting them. There are absolutely things that lawmakers here want to do, mm -hmm. but as for the governor, he's looking to local governments for those solutions. And there's legislation in the works that targets district attorneys. What's this about? This is something that's really getting my interest. This is something that, that's, that's jumped out at me because, and here's the bigger context. The bigger context, and, and my coworker Sam Greenglass has, has talked about this, is district attorneys who may not be prosecuting abortion or district attorneys who who that some Republican lawmakers believe are not tough enough on crime. And hmm. so lawmakers here are starting to look. So one, one example is uh, House Bill 48, which would make district attorney elections nonpartisan. 
that's one of the bills that's jumped out to me. Senate Bill 31, which um, uh, is actually on the Senate floor tomorrow, mm-hmm. would give, a, and you guys have heard this before, mm-hmm. would give original jurisdiction to domestic terrorism cases. Um, it would give, uh, for domestic ter- terrorism cases, to the GBI. You guys yeah. remember last year, mm-hmm. the GBI was given original jurisdiction of election cases. You wonder if this is where this is going, where original jurisdictions for more cases are going to be given to the GBI. Yeah, that um, is Senate Bill 11 coming to the floor tomorrow? On the Senate on the Senate floor tomorrow. Right. Um, Senate Bill 31, and I know I've got a few of these, making um, you know a district attorney pay certain reimbursements to the attorney general if the attorney general has to take over a case. And something that's not a bill yet, but we've heard lawmakers talk about and have been asked about is what about oversight mm-hmm. of district attorneys, a commission to oversee. Well, but and Governor um, Kemp, that's interesting, Raul, because Governor Kemp has been one of those governors who said, I don't want to go in and, and try to tell, you know, municipalities and other areas how to do business, you know, and, and we want to have you know, less control or, or oversight. But this is very interesting but when it comes to this area. This is one they may be willing to have a different movement in. That's uh, so far. I, I, so far, I think where where the governor is going with this is is maybe bail bond reform. Mm-hmm. That may be another. That was something that you heard him talk about, not about legislation, but just but talking about how bail bond bail bonds handled here in the state of Georgia. Now, meanwhile, lawmakers are still working through the budget proposal. Any highlights from the agency heads making their case? I know everybody wants money, which you know is probably fair. Yeah, it is. You know, we, we had a hearing just today where um, where the where the Department of Driver Services Commissioner was talking about, you know, the five thousand dollar raise helped. Um, but there but there's still the challenges. Probably the biggest challenges when you look at all agencies is turnover, employee turnover, raising salaries. I think and you see that lawmakers up here realize that that you're going to have to raise salaries, not just because of inflation, but because of competition, you know, at some point, low inflation is a challenge and, and you have state agencies trying to hang on to people. As for the movement on the budget, we're going to have a significant amount, amount of movement tomorrow mm-hmm. as the House Full Appropriations Committee, the Budget Committee, is going to take up the amended budget. Now, that's the budget that the state of Georgia is currently in right now mm-hmm. and runs through the end of June. That budget is going to be taken up by the committee. I would expect by the end of the week, we're going to have a vote on that budget here in the House before it's sent over to the Senate. Mm-hmm. And before I let you go, today is a runoff election for the former seat of the late House Speaker David Ronston. We should have those. It should be it shouldn't take a, a long time to to find out who wins. But uh, remind our listeners who are the two candidates. So the two candidates who made it to the runoff are Sheree Ralston, who is the widow of um of, of the late Speaker David Ralston, along with her fellow Republican Johnny Chastain. Um, for their district, which includes Gilmer, Fannin, and parts of Dawson counties, there are also three other special elections across the state, two in southwest Georgia, mm-hmm. and then one for parts of Barrow and Jackson counties. Uh, so we've got uh, some vacancies to fill up here at the Capitol. All right. WABE politics reporter Raul Bali, live from the Georgia House Chamber. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Always great to be on. All right now. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving 
to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. And Closer Look continues from WABE here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Commissioners in DeKalb County recently passed some legislation to combat a growing public safety concern. And it's related to video surveillance ordinances that will require convenience stores and what's considered high-risk businesses to own and operate a video surveillance system. Joining me now is DeKalb County Commissioner Lorraine Carkin-Johnson, who pushed for the measure, and she joins me. Thanks for taking time. I really appreciate it. been a long time. No. Thank you. Let's begin here because I actually got an email on this. Someone said, Rose, what exactly is considered a, quote, high-risk business? Good question. That is a very good question. And uh, for DeKalb County, um, in order to move forward with legislation that would allow us to have the ability to extend it beyond just our gas and convenience stores, We define the high-risk business as any business that has a violent crime occur on site, Mm -hmm. um, any um, bodily injury or harm, as well as a business that receives three calls for police servicing Mm -hmm. during the course of any 30-day period. That was my next question. How are you all going to determine? And and you could have some business saying, well, are you profiling us? But you're saying, look, we're going to keep track of how many times (laughs) we have to come visit y'all. Absolutely. Um, We are using the data because we find a direct correlation between outcomes and calls. Um, And if you are calling for police services or there's multiple requests from the community at your location, then you move to the category of a high-risk business. Have you had some pushback, I imagine, from either the chamber or a, a other coalition of other businesses? What's the feedback been like so far? Uh, amazingly, Rose, uh, it has been all positive. Uh, because, of course, when it comes to video surveillance and, and equipment, there are fees. But what we have found, because it's very unfortunate, but in certain census tracts, there is a pattern of criminal activity. So many of the gas and service stations where we have had the greatest incidents of crime, they are looking for solutions too, because they have a fiduciary responsibility to provide for the safety of their patrons. Mm -hmm. So honestly, the conversation has been more about what can we do to help you help us so that we provide a safe environment. Because for some stations, it's it was beginning to affect their sales. People do not want to stop after dark or during certain periods or mm-hmm. at certain gas and service stations because of known incidents of crime. And we should note you're talking about working surveillance cameras and video monitors because there have been some times where folks I know Mm because I covered this way well we didn't have the tape or it was unplugged or we didn't have the service to monitor it you all saying just don't have a some cameras up there make sure they're working yes and and more importantly there's guidelines um and you know that's that that's the thing here um you know I have gone to service stations after there was a shooting and looked at footage And you know there's a death because there is a body in the parking lot and there is still crime scene tape. Mm -hmm. 
So there's no question of what's occurred. But when you look at the footage, it tells you very little more than you already knew uh, because of, of the cloudiness of the footage, the poor quality. So it, it was bigger than creating um, an ordinance. It was creating an environment where the footage actually becomes um, an asset to mm -hmm. our police department. Uh, so, of course, we now regulate. Um, the amount of pixels, um, you know, four megapixels, um, 40 frames uh, per minute. Mm -hmm. um, we regulate the storage. You must hold and store footage for a minimum of 60 days. If there is an incident of crime or footage is requested, it must be surrendered within 72 hours. Your video surveillance must be active 24 hours a day, seven days per week. Um, of course, we do also require cameras at points of entry and exit mm -hmm. the gas pumps um, and point of sale. What about for unincorporated DeKalb? Because you all have had to have some additional resources for this area, correct? Um, well, it you know, uh, I represent in terms of legislation the unincorporated part of DeKalb. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we have 12 municipalities, and um, I can say that the city of Tucker, um, as well as the city of Decatur, have reached out, and I've shared the actual final draft legislation, because what we deal with here is an isolated um, to DeKalb, you see crime and violence at, at gas and service stations in, in, in Atlanta, in Gwinnett, and other counties as well. So the key for us is doing what we can to minimize mm -hmm. uh, what we see and create safe environments. Okay, well, here comes the other question. There's perhaps a business saying, um, okay, do I have a deadline? And what happens if I'm not exactly ready for this or I don't have these surveillance cameras not trying to get anybody in trouble but you know mm -hmm. there there are consequences absolutely and that just means you don't get a business license um this becomes effective uh, I believe it's the the latter part of of April and by that time um all gas and service stations must have proper video surveillance uh that meets the minimum requirements in place we are actually hiring five new code enforcement officers who are dedicated specifically to visiting in DeKalb County. Um, I believe it's 268 gas and service stations to ensure that that video surveillance equipment is in place, that it meets our minimum requirements. And after your initial certification, which you need to get the business license, then thereafter, uh, with the renewal of your business license, you can provide an affidavit. Well, let's back up for a moment just to make sure because I've got a couple of emails in here. So you're saying now, if, you, if you're not a convenience store or a gas station, but you are a high risk because of all this extra activity that's happening at your place, you need, you will be required. But what if Absolutely. someone? But what if someone said, "Well, you know, can you define? Okay, if the police come out because there's folks arguing or there's folks just hanging around, is there a, an assessment used for what type of activity is is being is happening at this location? Because someone will say, "Look, yeah, I have kids, or not just kids. I don't get email. I have folks hanging out. They may, you know, but they're not doing anything. Does that mean I have to get this this high tech surveillance, you know, camera system here?" Absolutely. And, you know, folk tend to look for the gray area. 
but we're very specific. If we get three calls in DeKalb County for police servicing at your location, then we now consider you a high-risk business. And, you know, I would hope that business owners would embrace this Mm -hmm. because in all honesty, it is a small price to pay because you should want to send the message from your location that if you break the law, we are going to apprehend you quickly. And, uh, you know, in surrounding municipalities, when you have seen clear footage Mm -hmm. of murders and crime and we're able to put your face out there, we're able to often arrest within 72 hours. So justice has to be swift. So you we get three calls. I don't care what your excuse. You're under the surveillance ordinance now. I have a listener who says, does this also mean if I'm next to an establishment that gets, and these are fair questions, is, is, you know, because look, this what happens when you come on a program. Does this, what if my business is next to an establishment that always has issues? And then they say, well, we always good. <laughs> well, we as long as it's not on your site, um, you know, hopefully you, you want us to secure that location and get it under control. Uh, but no, it's not a transferred uh, responsibility. We're not going to walk next door and say they have a problem. So do you. Mm-hmm. We're going to leave the problem with whom it lies. All right. And Commissioner, before mm-hmm. I let you go, I know that you have some own, you have some legislative priorities that you want the General Assembly to look at um, for your, your DeKalb delegation. Uh, let's go through a couple of them first. Uh, what's at the top of mind for you? Oh, wow. Um, top of mind, and, and for me, simple, we need uh, independent redistricting commissions in the state of Georgia. Uh, as we all know, and as we saw, of course, every 10 years during the census, uh, we assess populations and there is reapportionment um, for districts. And mm-hmm. what we have seen out of the General Assembly is that it is an inherently biased process mm-hmm. that has more to do about securing one's interest than the proper redistricting based upon population. So currently there are eight states uh, that have uh, redistricting commissions. They've taken the power away from the General Assembly. These individuals come together. They strictly look at the population Mm -hmm. and they draw boundaries that are compact, contiguous and make sense. So that's one of my pieces that I'm, I'm promoting. And also, to you're talking about, and listen, everyone is housing, obviously, and you, you might have heard with oh, my segment yeah. with Raul that perhaps Governor Kemp is going to be able to, but his, in terms of a housing affordability, will be in terms of housing for, you know, workers. Um, mm-hmm. But for DeKalb County, I imagine that it goes beyond that for you all and oh, what absolutely. assistance you would need. And and Rose, that, that you're very right, because... Uh, I did present a request to the General Assembly. Uh, There's two things that need to happen here. Um, In 2021, uh, Metro Atlanta saw a um, 21% increase in rental rates. Mm -hmm. And in 2022, we saw a 15%. So over the past two years, the average person that rents has seen a 36% increase in rental rates. Uh, what you have happening here, and, and, and with those rates, let me say, that it placed Georgia in the top 10 for um, highest rental rates across the country. Uh, out of the top 10, six of the other states currently have a rental rate cap. 
And with a rental rate cap, that means that year over year, rental rates cannot increase more than 4.5 to 5%. But here in Georgia, we're seeing 15 to to literally 21 percent increases that's challenging commissioner you know because you'll and not just for the the big apartment complexes but even the the privately owned the landlords say look you know i have to or we have to adjust they say we have to adjust the rent based on the market we have to adjust the rent based on perhaps property taxes if i own a four rental you know units in a building my property taxes i have to pay i am forced to pass that on to my tenants you've heard that oh yes and and let me say as a part of the governing authority of DeKalb county you don't see rises in in taxes that would justify the things that we're seeing um, and, and it's it's alarming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there's an, an, a totally different emergence of what's called um, the BFR uh, community, the buy for rent, mm-hmm. where now individuals who seek to purchase a home aren't competing against other individuals. They're competing against LLCs, Wall Street and private investors. Yeah. And that is a totally different piece of this puzzle. Well, in legislation, there there could be legislation that deals with that, that state lawmakers might uh, want to consider. I know in, in each municipality, there may be some local measures uh, in, in terms of keeping investor businesses from coming in. And look, in some instances, having whole subdivisions and whole, you know, blocks and blocks of, of rental units. I want to get this in there mm-hmm. before I let you go, because tomorrow we know that your your CEO, Michael Thurman, and Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens are uh, planning uh, some type of press conference where they're going to talk about, you know, ensuring the, the safety for the community around the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Should they have, through your lens, should this have been done some time ago as, a, as now? Because unfortunately there's been a death someone is, is, has been killed and, and all the things that have been happening with that. Is it a little bit late? Shouldn't all this have been worked out before? You know, uh, it is so interesting, uh, Rose, that you would ask that question. Now, you know me. Uh, I do. And let me and you know me. And because you know me, I'm going to say I was made aware at 1209 through a press release that this conversation would take place. So unfortunately, I cannot with any degree of intelligence speak as to the resolutions or what this conversation looks like. But I will say that even this Sunday on the Georgia Gang, hearing Phil um, sit there and say, uh, and I'm sure you were watching too, uh, you know, a conversation. Are you about to quote Phil Kent? You know it. See, yes, you know, so I, uh, Phil Kent said, you know, it was time for a conversation for CEO to have the conversation. And I do agree. And, you know, let me say, I believe in securing rights for people. I'm that person who will fight for you, fight with you. And I will fight you if you're wrong, but I won't put it out there. Uh, but it will be a conversation. But also, um, you know, when you fail to act, there's consequences. And this has gone on for too long. Um, You know, people identifying themselves as tree watchers that are trespassers Um, and also talking about the environmental issues that. So I'm looking forward to the resolution and hearing um, what has been agreed upon. And I sincerely hope that, you know, you can't go back, but we can go forward. Well, what lesson is learned then? Obviously, we can't go back. And we can't bring back the, the, the individual that, that was killed. We can't bring back what happened to the mm-hmm. state trooper that was shot. Um, 
and is recuperating. But what lessons do you think can be learned for as it relates to how DeKalb County did business in, in that property? Um, you know, one thing that I can say is when you don't have critical conversations, you deal with critical issues. Uh, so having the conversation, because there's been an outcry from the community, I will not say that everything that, that certain members of the community express is an accurate representation of the facts. Um, however, the conversation is just long overdue. Mm-hmm. So being quicker to act. DeKalb County Commissioner Lorraine Cochran Johnson, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. We will have a link to the ordinance for your DeKalb County folks who still email me. Talking about, why should I get a video? Because we'll say, why should I get a video? My, my, my company's good. Well, I got to do that, y'all. You talk to the commissioner. Oh, no, but, but make sure they know that if you don't have, uh, you know, a violent crime or you're not a gas or service station, it doesn't affect you. Um, just make sure you, you keep criminal elements out and we're here to help with that. High risk businesses. You know who you are. High risk businesses. You know who you are. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. And Closer Look will continue in just a moment. You'll hear how legendary filmmaker Spike Lee is partnering with the Atlanta University Center Institutions with a new fellowship opportunity for film students. So you'll learn about that in just a moment. But first this, it was a year ago, state and local leaders, along with major Atlanta-based businesses and others, formed a partnership to help combat human trafficking here in our state. Now, to mark this one year of collaboration, Georgia First Lady Marty Kemp, along with others, spoke from Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. The First Lady indicated new legislation will be introduced with the focus on traffickers. Traffickers are constantly adapting and depending on their ability to hide in plain sight in crowds like the ones that fill these terminals each day. That is why it is so important that we work to educate the public on the signs of trafficking and what they can do to stop them. This year, we're adding a piece of legislation that will increase penalties for those required to post information and resources on human trafficking, but fail to do so. Victims are dependent on everyone to do their part, and we must hold each other accountable to ensure we are meeting those demands. Now, last August, FBI and nine Atlanta area police departments rescued 28 minors, nine of which were reportedly being exploited for sex. Four sex four suspects were arrested. And also, filmmaker Tyler Perry was working with the governor's office to produce a new PSA to alert people about the signs of human trafficking. Georgia's Attorney General Chris Carr says within the last year, 116 human trafficking victims have been rescued and given assistance. Nearly 50 defendants are currently under indictments for sex and labor trafficking. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. 
2015, filmmaker Spike Lee received the Governor's Award from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. He was presented the annual, it's, they usually present the annual Oscars. Now, Spike's work was celebrated for a lifetime of not just making movies and documentaries. The award was presented by his buddy Samuel L. Jackson, fellow Morehouse man like Spike, Wesley Snipes, and Denzel Washington. Spike Lee has put more African Americans to work in this business than this business than anyone else in the history of this business. Yeah. That's right. That's right. The trio also talked about the type of movies Spike Lee makes. Spike makes films that are very personal to Spike, that he hopes an audience will embrace. But you really think he care? I mean, he, he wants you to like his films and he wants you to embrace them in a way, but he tells stories and he tells them in a way that he doesn't really embrace the fact of people's feelings being hurt. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know y'all have seen Spike Lee movie. I've seen, I think I've seen every Spike Lee movie. Now, his filmography spans decades, obviously, with some award-winning movies, too, like, of course, Malcolm X and Defy Bloods. Now he's investing in the next generation of filmmakers through a fellowship with Atlanta's HBCUs. Lee says the mission is to, quote, bring as many black and brown folks with me in front and behind the camera, close quote. Well, the Atlanta University Center Consortium says they are thrilled to launch this opportunity for aspiring movie makers and not public radio hosts who want to make movies. But let's welcome in the studio executive director of the consortium, Michael Hodge, writer, filmmaker, and Morehouse professor, Dr. Stephanie Dunn. Welcome. Thank you, Rose. Thanks Thank you, for Rose. having us. Name your favorite Spike Lee movie, Professor Dunn. Oh, my God, don't make me do that. <laughs> it might be do the right thing, but it's in a war with Malcolm X. Ah. So, <laughs> Mr. Hodge, what about you? She's got to have it. Ah. <laughs> you like that one? I like That was mind-changing for me back then. I bet it was. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was it was, yeah, it was. I like them all. I mean, you know, I um, do the right thing because... I was of that area, I, I, you know, I was young and trying to find my way and a little militant. That's okay. Still, you know, that's a, and Spike was speaking directly to me and my generation about things that were happening. Yeah, it was New York, but we were all familiar with that. So, yeah, love them all. Um, Spike, look, he's a proud Morehouse grad, class of 79, wrote and directed and produced his first film back in 1983. He always talks about the importance of uh, Professor Eichelberger and, and so many others in the HBCU experience, which, of course, he put on film. Uh, what is it about having him involved with this fellowship that's so important? Well, I think one of the things that's so important is that it is collaborative. It, it sort of acknowledges the culture of the AUC. The culture of the AUC really does nurture creativity. It nurtures the vision of people like Spike Lee. So that the fact that this will be Morehouse, Clark, Spelman students getting mm -hmm. this opportunity really speaks to how the colleges in the AUC themselves have a number of talented students who really need access. Mr. Hodge, what about you? What do you think? So yeah, it's very important that you know Spike came to us and, and opened up this opportunity for our students. Um, so the Atlanta University Center Consortium is there to uh, make an impact mm -hmm. that's greater than any one of those colleges could make by themselves. So we bring them together with collaboration. And Spike uh, sort of epitomizes that in this uh, fellowship that he brought together, he made sure that all of the students came to this dinner 
uh, from all of the schools and uh, and made this you know big grand announcement. And there's a lot of nice components to this program. Let's talk about it because these Spike Fellows, and I love that. I'd love to have that on a shirt. I'm a Spike Fellows. These Spike Fellows, it will be more than just you know funding, but this allows them to do so much. I think it does. It, the the working with Gersh, big company. Um, they will have the opportunity to be in New York or L.A. and actually work with these people, not just in front of cameras, you know, acting and all of that, but the business of mm-hmm. entertainment, learning that business. So it's open to all majors, um, not just film folks, but, you know, we're going to start there. Um, <laughs> some bet. people who have an interest in film, right? And there's a lot of our folks that do that. So it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a difference, and, and they're going to do this, complete it well, and they get up to $25,000 of their student debt paid off. Wow. Yes. Where's my nephew? <laughs> Where was this when we were in school? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Let's, because I know there are folks saying, let me, let me, let me text, let me text my son, let me text my daughter. Of course, they all know about this. How, there is a cap. You can't take everybody. So how will you, you know, do you want to go ahead and say it or? <laughs> so there, there's the cap is, is if I believe correctly, five students initially and it's going to be by a sort of committee selection there is supposed to be participation by representatives from the campus and spike lee to select uh those students so no it is not a free-for-all it is definitely a selective process as it always is when you have a limited number of students you can take you know per year per program so that's unfortunately so they all won't be from morehouse they all won't be no ma'am and they all won't be from clark no ma'am but how how exciting is this in terms of just even the the applicants the the obviously the what you're seeing in terms of the response it it's tremendous mentorship is so crucial and by the way I want to give Spike Lee props because even though this is a formal program, he's been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. We have students in the Morehouse Cinema, Television, and Emerging Media Studies Department who have been nurtured and mentored by Spike Lee at, at NYU, who have left Morehouse. They've gone there. But this is really exciting to have a formal program that will breed other mentors in the industry. And that kind of access is so difficult. And so that's what's exciting, I think. When you look at, uh, obviously, every year there's some issue, big or small, as relates to the Academy Awards. And there was a little bit of drama this year as well. I think warranted. That's just my opinion. But also, too, creating that next pipeline. Uh, Mr. Hodge, when you think of creatives, you know, Spike, Spike will tell you, look, it wasn't easy. You know, I thought I was going to be this overnight sensa- sensation because he had won, a, I think, a student uh, film contest. And it took him a while. It oh, took yeah. him a while. It takes time. It takes time to build greatness. Right. And so this is an opportunity, though, for our students to be on the front row of greatness and witness it themselves and uh, to really it's not going to be easy. I mean, it's not going to be go to this place and, you know, put paper in this file. Yeah. That's not going to be it. They're going to be worked. They're going to be worked hard. That's why this first round is for graduating seniors only. Mm-hmm. So that um, they have the Morehouse Spelman Clark preparation. Will they have to, to already have a project that they're working on or can it will it be from conception of a script all the way through or any type of film and video production here? It, documentary, movie, what have you. Any type of that or on the business side, being an agent, representation, all of that is possible with Gersh. 
And Professor Dunn, will they, throughout this, will they be able to come back and say, I may need some help here? Who will be the people that were working with them in oh, terms absolutely. of... absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. From the consortium side, but also from the individual institutional side, there will be collaborative sort of effort to make sure that students are successful. So this is about access. So it's mm -hmm. about widening the doorway so that from their undergraduate through their entryway. That's why the focus on seniors, so they get this opportunity because they're about to come out yeah. and try to make their way. And so this is a bridge that's happening. You mentioned you only take five, but with the success of this, I'm gonna go ahead and say it, next year y'all gonna take 10 or after this is over, can y'all take 10? <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, I always like to say that at the beginning of something, it's always sort of a pilot, Yeah. right? It's the pilot years. And so you see how it goes and you learn from what works and you know, what doesn't work, and, and then you make adjustments as necessary. So I think that's a good safe answer without committing, <laughs> you know, overly much, maybe. When you look at uh, the role of, of HBCUs and, and the making of, of and I sound like Henry Louis Gates, making Black America, I'm actually going to do a, a forum about this in a couple of weeks, but the importance of HBCUs in this nation and in our achievements that we have as people of color, as black folks, and who've we produced out of these HBCUs. Well, that's why it's so problematic. You mentioned the Oscars. It, it's not just another passing year where you go, okay, Oscars so white. It is deeply problematic that black women were locked out, right, on the director side and on the acting side because it's the, it's the representation mm -hmm. of the continuing problem, right? of a, a sort of a, a sort of exclusive club that Hollywood is. And I'm always saying to people, don't sleep and get excited every time two people are of color or black folk are nominated for an award because things come in phases. And we want transformation of the industry, not every 10 years, five years, 20 years, we're having the same Oscar so white conversation. Mr. Hodge, she talks about this transformation and it's been a process. I think, and I'm not aging y'all, but we're all old enough to remember when there was a time we looked on TV, we didn't see a whole lot of folks that looked like us. We were all excited for some when they saw Julia. You know, now nah, I wasn't around it, but my goodness, I know when Sanford's son came on and the Jeffersons and good times and, and of that nature, that was a big deal because representation, as you said, matters. And you saw folks that looked like you and you saw storylines about your community, whether it was Cooley High, which everybody loves, you know, was it Cornbread Earl and me? Lawrence Fishburne, Claudine, mm -hmm. <laughs> indeed. So yeah, these are these are, um, and I am old enough to remember seeing Julia. So I, I, so I didn't want to put you out there like that. <laughs> but uh, these are these are very um, uh, important points that you make that diversity actually does matter, and it's not that it just matters because it makes you feel good or people see you for this transaction that's happening. But she said it's transformational. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that um, this diversity is represented because it represents the strength of America. When is the deadline? Uh, have you all begun to look at the a applications or? No windows no. opening February 1, which is. Tomorrow. Yes, indeed. And yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Can, do you want to give any? Are you allowed to give any tips or suggestions to what you're looking for? Or you want to leave that alone. Complete the application as directed <laughs> and thoughtfully. <laughs> say that because I say that a lot to my nephew. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta complete the thing. 
you know, go look at it. As directed. Yeah, and then push submit doesn't work. You got to fill it out. And thoughtfully. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back and yeah. the students who are chosen, the, the, you know, the few that will be uh, interviewed, Gersh will be here so interviewing. There's a, there's a process. There is a process okay. that should wrap up in March, I think we see it. Wow. Um, and then they'll know um, who's going to go to New York or California. And when will y'all will Spike make the announcement? How will this be rolling? I would here? hope so. That's a good question. I would hope so. Spike, uh, Rose Scott has asked, <laughs> "Will you make the announcement, please?" As would be fitting. I, I have a funny Spike Lee story. I'm telling oh, you tell quick. us. I, I was doing basketball. I was uh, for the radio for with Clark Atlanta and Morehouse. It was a basketball game, and we interviewed Spike during halftime. And I asked him. I said, "Spike, I need you to make a movie about the three women that played in the Negro leagues." And he said. Not before I tell Jackie's story. I said, well, we know Jackie's story, but you got to do something about the three women that played in the Negro Leagues. And he said, maybe. And I said, what do you mean, maybe? And he said to me, you do it. And he was right. He was right to say that. You do it. Now, I don't have Spike Lee funding, but, you know, that's my Spike Lee story. Yeah. And when you want to make that film, I'm a filmmaker and a writer, so let's do that thing. All right. Did you know there were three women that played in the Negro Leagues? I did. Yeah, okay. And yes, indeed. And you knew that too, Mr. Hodge, right? I know it now. No, I did not know that. It was Mr. Three. Hodge, right? Really? I did not. Right, I'll be honest. I'm transparent here. All right. Well, that's yeah. what we're going to do. So we're going to make this movie? Uh, you, you, now, see, she thinks I'm talking, but, but Dr. <laughs> Hodge can tell you. I, yes, I know that now you, you met and then look, she'll be calling you. <laughs> what is the... Final, and again, it's going to be this five, but with these five young folks, these students, these graduating, graduating seniors from the AUC, and what they're about to embark on. I'm so excited for them. I mean, it's it's really not about quantity. I mean, just think about one Spike Lee and how he has changed and contributed to the American cultural front. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, let me just say that these students, when they came to that dinner with Spike Lee and he asked them to go around and talk mm-hmm. oh my goodness these young people are so bright so deep so talented so enthusiastic they are true creatives and and in all senses of the word whether they're business or film this is going to yeah. be great maybe i want to get one of them to do the movie about the three women that played in the negro leagues they can work for us it's important for two black women to continue black women to Oh, hello. I like that. Hello. And then, uh, <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Exec- you, Executive Director of the Atlanta University Center Consortium, Mr. Michael Hodge, and writer, filmmaker, and Morehouse professor, Dr. Stephanie Dunn. Thank you both for taking time. We appreciate it. Uh, let us know when this five, when the five are announced. We would love to just talk to them briefly. Absolutely. Thank you, Rose. Right. Thank, Thank you for having Rose. us. And that's it for th- this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, Pat St. Clair. Our supervising producer is Tiffany Griffith. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program. Do not email me about how to get your son or daughter selected. I don't have that pull. But I've got two emails already. I love it. But send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And, of course, if you missed any of this, it will be broadcast tonight at 7 p.m. as well as on our website, wabe.org slash closer look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. We'll have a link. You can go to AU, is that AUCC website? AUCenter.edu. AUCenter.edu. All right. Good luck, everybody.
Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Hey y'all, I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-B-E. 